Welcome to Happy Times and Places, the Doctor Who commentary podcast that dares to be positive. Basically, I get a special guest to nominate a story, they have to choose in secret their favourite things about it, and I have to see if I can guess what they are, and if I don't, I die, or something. The rules aren't exactly clear. Hello Toby, I'm Lisa Gledhill, I'm a Doctor Who fan and a filmmaker. And very many years ago, I used to make trailers and promotions for all different kinds of TV programs and channels. And one of the most fun things I ever got to do at that time, apart from sneakily naming a channel after my brother, Dave, is that I got to make the trailers for David Tennant's first season as the Doctor. I think I'm right in saying that after Russell T Davis, I'm the first person to write broadcast dialogue for the 10th Doctor. It's a really proud moment for me. Anyway, uh, I have chosen one of the stories from that season uh, to share with you today because the whole run is, is very close to my heart. I've chosen Tooth and Claw. Now, the very first time I ever saw this story, it was in an unfinished state. It had lots of line drawings and very rough animatics where now there's a werewolf. It looks so much better now. But I'd like you to watch that story and see if you can work out what it is that really appealed to me. Well, hello there. Um, <clears throat> top tip if you want to be a guest on this show, um, nominate an episode from New Who because uh, I've got people who've given me oh beautifully rendered videos on all of the Daleks master plan, all of Marco Polo, all of the war games, uh, and lots of stories from from classic who I've got, I'm drowning in. Had to stop people doing Sylvester McCoy because I was going to run out. Um, and D Davison's been gobbled up a bit too. Um, just started to get a few a uh, few more Tom Bakers. I suppose there's more of those to go, but I didn't have I didn't have a great balance of of, of Tom Baker. But I'm pretty much across the board of the classic series now. Uh, plenty of stories claimed and ready to go. New series. Not so much. So well done to my guest, Lisa Gledhill, who's terrific uh, and has chosen. I'm not sure of the rules, you see, because I was go I, I thought it was five in total for a new series episode. And then three. Is it two each and a bonus for a Colin Baker story? So the timings don't quite work. And it's one one thing each. So a four parter is five things but of course this is the equivalent of half a four-parter so it should be three things so anyway i don't know how i conveyed it to lisa but she has chosen three things and one bonus so we are looking for four things in total in this story uh, i think for other new series episodes people are choosing five things so if uh, if anyone's doing a spreadsheet when when the history of this podcast is being put together i know that's not going to happen that was a joke um uh, uh the spreadsheet's going to be more complicated than unit dating simply because um i've i've sort of it is in my nature to make everything the same and regimented and i'm trying to let go um to go against my doc two fan thing of being bothered if things aren't sort of neatly packaged because the doctor is you know has quite a scattergun approach to things and i mean i'm not you know, I don't actually, actually, because I don't have my things necessarily in order on the shelves because I haven't put back the 
past 14 DVDs I've got out and watched there on the table waiting to go on the shelves. So I'm not, I'm not regimented, but it does bother me. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, I don't know what any of that means. I'm sure it's not interesting. Right. Um, I've, I've got a, I've, I've, I've got a notepad because um, I, d I don't want to get through the episode and, and forget what I've chosen because I'm a bit disappointed with some of my choices of some stories recently where I've chosen something a bit naff and then somebody said, what about that thing? And you go, of course that thing. So anyway, welcome. We're at the height of the pandemic. I've had my first jab, uh, waiting for my second. Uh, it's been a bit crazy lately. I look crazy. I've never, I don't, I never say that word. Why have I just said that? Um, I'm a bit hyper, aren't I? Um, I've not had a great couple of weeks. Nothing major. Don't write in. Don't come and rescue me. Uh, just a lot of things. I think what, as we've all had, you know, things get on top of you. You go a bit stir crazy. Um, me, I'm lucky. I've not been bored. I've not had nothing to do. I've had the opposite. I've had too much to do. Um, I think taken on some things I shouldn't have taken on. This, however, I enjoy this. This is watching Doc 2 and talking out loud about what I think. Oh, oh the humanity. So, uh, look, I hope you like this. Uh, let's uh, let's go for it. I am on, in fact, the, I'm on the iPlayer, but it's um, it's uh, it's actually gone back to screensaver because I've been gas gassing on too much. Here we are. So, uh, I am on the iPlayer. You may be on the DVD. Uh, I have... I've actually got I've got it on on sort of play and pause, so it will go pretty much as soon as I press play. Um, so I am going to press play in three, two, one. Did I say it was tooth and claw? It's tooth and claw. In three, two, one, go. It's a great opening shot. I like the slate grey although I can see no slate grey but I, I think of this the location filming of this uh, I don't know if it's to do with the, the the treatment or the lighting on the film stock I think it's yeah the the, the, the palette of it you know there's some slate grey I, I I love the palette uh, of the colour and of the of, of the film work of the exterior film work I think it's really good and I love this opening scene um, I think we'd seen a bit of the slow motion monkery, and um, we'd seen a, we'd certainly seen a scene later on. But I think we'd I, th I think we'd had a little bit on a trailer, um, uh, but this is brilliantly shot. And I think on the Doc Two Confidential they show that this took you know this took a day to put together, and it is you know this is episode two, um, uh, you know the headlines have been grabbed the week before. But look, and those those red of those colours, which are reminiscent of actually a BBC ident at the time. And I remember partially thinking, oh, does that does that take away from it? Because because there was a bit of slow motion stuff going on with the BBC ident as well, I think. But of course, uh, no, nobody said anything. Well, I think some people have said, oh, that was a bit like that, but not not in a particularly disparaging way. Um, I think this is an extraordinarily good sequence it's a headline grabbing way to start episode two do you know what i mean you could sort of be thinking well you know we've done the first night people people will be watching for a bit we've got we've got a few weeks goodwill this is going no 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 this store this series surprises you and does things to you uh every week uh and i like the way he does a little hiss there uh the, the those the, the, the just everything from that the way it was shot the color um the the 
expert stunt work, um, the slow motion. I think it's a fantastic, one of the best openings to a Doctor Who story you could hope for. And if that's not in my top four things, we're in for a, an enjoyable 45 minutes. Um, and what a great look. Uh, he, he has uh, Ian, Ian, Ian uh, playing playing the chief monk. It's a he's, it's a great, uh, uh, you know, the the bald pate and and his physiognomy uh, really uh, uh, really works for that character. Uh, I know because and this is public knowledge because he said it out loud that Jim Findlay, who plays Mercer in Resurrection of the Daleks, who is also good at the, the he's good at the stick work. Um, he, he knows what it's called uh he he auditioned for that part so he could have he could have been one of that illustrious bevy to go from classic to new who uh uh but he didn't get it as uh you know we actors often don't uh but jim talks about that um so uh, i'm not betraying a confidence there uh i think i, I yeah I, I, I don't think uh, many actors don't mind telling you that they were up for something and didn't get it because uh it's at least it's at least nice to be thought of and considered uh, and you often don't get a part. Um, it can sometimes be because you're two inches too tall, or you, you know, you haven't got the same hair colour that they envisage, or, or you've got too much of the hair colour that, that somebody else in the story's got who's already been cast. Uh, loads of different reasons, uh, and most of them not to do with acting, and and most of them actually not to do with anything you've done. Uh, I'm an, I'm annoyed. I can't remember the actor's surname who plays uh, the chief monk, Ian Hepburn. Anyway, he's good. Saw him in a couple of other things around the time. Um, is he in a life on Mars? I think he might be. I don't have to know this stuff about new Doctor Who. This is I I'm I'm just a casual viewer. He says not necessarily. <laughs> um, it's bit that the camera work in this is on this in this location stuff is great um and it's nice to have an historical um and of course the celebrity historical was a you know was a subgenre of doctor who uh we'd had oscar wilde in uh in uh not oscar wilde what am i talking about love to see oscar wilde in a doctor who story Charles Dickens, uh, I, I, it's, and they have fun with the fact that um, David Tennant is, of course, Scottish, uh, uh, so the Doctor can, like a chameleon, uh, fit in, and then and then Rose has a go. <laughs> Don't do that. That's nice and that's funny. And of course, he's called. He calls himself Jamie McCrimmon, which is fantastic and a lovely. I thought they balanced the old and new, the little references to the past, uh, but also doing stuff. That this feels to me so Doctor Who this story, and yet, and it does a lot of things that other Doctor Who stories do—running down corridors and a scary monster and all all of those things—and yet, you're going as a viewer. I remember at the time going, I just love the fact that Doctor Who can do all this stuff now. And there is somebody who was in uh, classic Doctor Who: Pauline Collins, Samantha Briggs from the Faceless Ones. Uh, and a, a, an Oscar nominee, I think, for Shirley Valentine, one of Doctor Who's few Oscar nominees uh, from the classic series. Uh, quite a few now from from New Who. Um, 
but and I and I like. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll learn from the story. I didn't actually know the story of the Koinor until uh, it it came into Doctor Who, uh, and I have to say, there's quite a few things where I've probably been able to, you know, throw something in at a, a dinner party. Oh, why do I say dinner party? I very rarely go to dinner parties, but uh, social occasions or um, you know chats with strangers where something comes up and you go ah well this is of course this and they sort of go oh yeah so you must be quite clever no i just i learnt it from doctor who <laughs> jamie sivies is it sivies i think it's pronounced i i really like as 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 the captain and he's had uh i mean he, he, he's done loads of good work then but it but uh this is quite a supporting part uh, but he's had some some great lead roles in stuff uh of late but i think even though we're lucky to get him in a, a, a relatively modest part it's still a really good part though and this is what i love about russell t davis's writing is that there aren't many parts in the whole of this period of doctor who that aren't worth turning up to play he he like he likes actors you can tell he likes actors um that I, th I think there are characters from f under later regimes, and this isn't to criticise them. I'm I'm just talking now from an actor's point of view, w w where y you know you'd be hard if somebody went, oh that actor from that episode, you'd go, oh what did he do? And oh he walked into a room and said two things. I I, I think if you're in a Russell T Davis script, if your job in the script is to walk into a room and say two things, you still get a couple of really memorable things to do. Um, She will be devoured and all of this. We always think of marvellous, happy Russell T. Davis uh, as being all jolly, but he's really good at the horrendous stuff. And this is, you know, this is a horror movie in, in Doctor Who. And this is Derek Riddell, who's a brilliant actor. I once, I once auditioned for a series called No Angels that he was in, and I didn't get the part. Uh, and I went back on the train, and I think, Somebody else I knew was up, was there at the same time. I think she was up for something too, and so we were chatting on the train on the way back. And I and I from Manchester to Leeds it was, uh, and I know and Derek Riddell was in uh, No Angels, and I I noticed him on the in the seat opposite. And I'd been talking loudly about acting, and as soon as I saw him, I thought, Oh God, he must think I'm an awful tryhard. Um, I, but he didn't give he didn't do anything to give me that impression. It's just what. Well, I spent my life regretting things. Uh, but anyway, uh, he's a very, very good actor. A very versatile actor. Um, uh, the, <laughs> I know people who uh, people who were non-fans who at the time say to me, oh, I love, love the way she kept getting uh, her to say, I'm, I'm not amused. And it is... <laughs> now, do we address the fact that... Uh, um, it, it, it does slightly time with there was I th there was a there was a hang on that's good though because we've set up a bit of the mystery uh, I like the way that uh, uh, the captain there is like no, you don't need to know about that and Jamie Sivey's pitches it very very well but it, we don't know what it is yet so there's a further mystery on top of what the mystery that we know about that they don't know about or that the, uh, they don't even know is a mystery is that there's a man in a cage uh uh below so there's two so there's 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 things to pique our interest from different sources there's this 
this this mysterious box uh, that Captain Reynolds is giving such import to, uh, uh, and there's whatever's going on in the dungeon that we've seen from the from the pre-credit sequence. Um, but are the Doctor and Rose a little bit smug? That was that that was the the, the criticism at the time, wasn't it? Um, I mean, I, it's difficult. I, 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 I would prefer to see people enjoying their adventuring. And I think it's because it's a successful show and because, and I, you know, there's a certain amount of self-loathing in, in, in all of us, particularly, I think, Doctor Who fans, <laughs> whether we know it or not. Um, but, but because Doctor, you know, we hadn't got the fact that it, it wasn't doing well to moan about so we go well it is doing well but they don't often know it's doing well don't they They're full of themselves so i think I, and i think sometimes because i know it's i've i've heard or i've read you know occasionally people say a similar thing about about me well you know because i perform and because i get up there and i i have a i sort of i do a knowing aside uh there's one bloke on the internet who's particularly wound up by the fact that i am knowing as, as if i i'm supposed to tell jokes without being aware of it i don't know um it doesn't float his boat but it you know it reading such stuff uh, is not nice especially when one is not overburdened with confidence i know that's uh, doesn't doesn't make a massive amount of sense but it's true um uh, uh, so, so there's 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 nothing worse with being thought of as smug and full of yourself when when the opposite is the case. So I'm I I, I am wary of throwing that accusation at Doctor Who here because uh, you know I, I'm sure the people who were making it weren't sitting there going oh, aren't we brilliant they're all working really hard to make a good thing and when you're making a good thing and you hope it's good and it seems to be riding high that probably in infects the the sort of bounce with which you write it and perform it and all of those sorts of things um but 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 and but and, and doesn't necessarily uh doesn't perhaps perhaps misreflects that by seeming more confident than uh, it should. Um, that said, so so you know, would I, would I prefer this dynamic to the Doctor and Perry arguing all the time? I think I I think I would, but I I I also can see why people, you know, might might find that the the these two need putting back in their place. But actually, they do get that. You know, the series is that. The series rents them asunder at the at the at the end of this series, and actually shows that, um, you know, enjoy your adventuring at your your peril because you are dealing with death and uh, you know horror and terrible things. And 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 if you and, and Queen Victoria says to them, you know, you're behaving as as if this is a game. So actually, anything that we don't like about their dynamic is is deliberately seeded in order to to question if they're getting off on all of this stuff so so no i don't think it's you know well it's a, i don't know i don't know it's interesting isn't it um and of course i've brought my i've seen it through my own my own lens now i believe ruthie milne's birthday was celebrated wasn't it during this when she was making this this actress here uh 
I, I seem to recall that from listening to a commentary or reading an interview at around the time that this was on, which is frighteningly... <laughs> so was it her 18th birthday, which means now she'd be 32? God, uh, I might have got my math wrong there. Um, uh, but it's I, I love Doctor Who set in an old house. Absolutely floats my boat. I, I think the atmosphere of this is great. I think there's a real Hammer Horror vibe. Uh, um, and it's and the plotting is great. You know the un, the unfolding of the mystery. He looks good because we've already seen him as a monk and now we see him dressed as a butler. There's something about a scary butler, but of course it won't appear scary to them. And I love this bit and I don't know why. Uh, where, the, where the captain slightly lets his guard down and he doesn't do anything wrong. But and and the way and and the dialogue with which she puts him in his place uh, is not without wit. So it's not sort of cold frosty monarch's stuff because there's a bit of humor to it it's very deft clever writing good characterization and then she does this bit where she goes oh completely oh which is heartbreaking and you can see the loss uh it's a very good performance uh, but it's it's very good writing look look how look how much we've got from her character in less than half half a page we've we've got so many dimensions there uh and uh, including a relationship with somebody we never see in this episode uh uh yeah lovely piece of acting but very very good piece of writing um and also you know this is round a spooky ghost story dinner table that the story hasn't really let up i don't think there's really been any um sort of moments where there's not there's not this terrible sense of menace because because whilst we're seeing them eat eat dinner we know that i call her princess diana uh, michelle duncan's character because i think michelle duncan did play princess diana in in something else and you can see it sometimes when she turns her face you go oh yeah she's she's uh she she's very good casting for princess Di. tom smith playing the the monster i saw in uh Henry the Sixth, Part Three, that the Royal Shakespeare Company toured, and that was, and it was at Upper Camfield Market here in Manchester, uh, with Jonathan Firth, Colin Firth's brother, playing Henry the Sixth. But uh, yeah, t t Tom Smith was Richard Duke of Gloucester, uh, who becomes Richard the uh, Third, and was was quite a grimy, seedy, slightly psychotic. It was a, it was a, it was a good performance. Uh, uh, but and he was he played that sort of northern. Um, uh with a you know north of england brogue um but he is he's scottish isn't he and i think i think david tennant knew him i think they've worked together before um and and it's a great image in the sort of cowl in the cage uh, and and this sort of slightly sing song uh lull lullaby threats um that have that that have you know that the, the time with the fact that he's this sort of innocent that who's been who's been rent for his but then my cultivation that's so grim isn't it it's a bit like in the seeds of doom and we have that, that that idea of sucker because you've been feeding him um but yeah the my cultivation that is that is grotesque uh and he hits it very nicely 
Um, and it's and it's great that this you know this is all tied in with the legend uh because a legend always just gives something a bit of extra effort. even if you just make it up there's a legend around these here parts of a wolf that eats people it just somehow it's a connection with the past and the past is unknowable the past is untouchable everybody involved is dead with you know with the 17th century or whatever so that that makes it somehow spookier because it's a story that's inhabited by ghosts you know yeah and it, that's the thing about a legend a legend is scary uh, an, an oldie worldy cautionary tale is scary because it, it is by its nature a, a story written and told by ghosts uh, and that's that's why i think a lot of you know old horror stuff is so i get a chill just talking about it because 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 it, it is an act of grave robbing in a way look i, I really gruesome and oh and of course because it's a werewolf we can throw in a bit of bad wolf uh, as well which uh, even you know some of those can just be sort of the vague vague mentions it, it it adds to the sum total of bad wolfy things and look at that's a great shot uh, with the moon and the and the house and the misty moors i can feel the cold uh which I, which i really like um and and Derek Derek Riddell's giving it uh, uh, all it should. Um, I remember being slightly because he he was I would say the, the most recognisable actor in this after um, Pauline Collins, and the cast is not done in order of appearance. Partic no, it's not done in order of appearance. Um, but. Uh, 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 Mr. Monk and uh, Michelle Duncan get uh, credited above Derek Riddell and I thought he should be higher up the credits but uh, again I count myself as the single person in the universe that gives a monkeys about that um, uh, this is a fantastic sequence T uh, Tom Smith's about to change uh, he did a very good job with again probably if you looked at the script a very small amount of lines but he had a real sort of animalistic uh, uh, thing about him, but instead of going gruff, I thought the sing song was a was a good choice. So that's a and this music is great. I I I I, I, I like the 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 the, the, the vocalised synthesised music. You know the the singing the singing bits in the incidental music. They always make stuff feel a bit. Well, it's the Omen did it, didn't it? That to have to have a bit of sing. I'm not a musical person, I, but I think the singy bits in the incidental music make it scarier is that is that is that a, an observation this is a great special effect uh it reminds me a bit of american werewolf in london which uh when you saw that as a kid was the most um yes my mum let me watch things that was the most amazing thing ever um uh that was a bad move captain reynolds you got a little bit too close with your pistol um, I love all this hairing down corridors. D David Tennant, I have to say, is very good at running down corridors, which I, I, I think I, I think is uh, uh, you know important part of the job. Uh, it's an excellent werewolf. It's a CGI werewolf, which uh, I remember my friend Peter, who's a film buff, Peter Stater. He won't be watching this. Excellent comic actor. Um, uh, was was not over the moon. He, he wasn't a great fan of the werewolf. He says you can't you can't do. You can't do fur with CGI. 
I remember the next day because we were doing a show the next day and I was a bit disappointed with Peter. Um, he lent me Dog Soldiers to make up for it, um, which is a great film if you've never seen that. Um, Sean Pertwee and uh, uh, Marco from Flesh and Stone. That's a beautiful shot uh, of the of the of the the wolf in the moon they really take the iconography of of werewolf stories and they you, you know they they then they, they don't shy away from it and that's absolutely the right thing to do is to embrace uh is to embrace uh you know all of the advantages of a werewolf story uh, my own werewolf has just walked in um and that's the death of the lead villain so another reason Derek Riddell should be above him on the credits. So we're we're how far in? Uh, less than halfway, I would say. And the and the main villain's gone, uh, which is interesting. Uh, that you know, but I suppose there's no no place for him left in the story, really. I I mean, I suppose he could have hung around facilitating things for the werewolf, but actually we don't need him. So move him move him aside. Um, and he made a great impression in the in the. You know, 15 minutes, he was, 20 minutes he was in it for. This is brilliant. I mean, that's such, that is, and and, and I think they, they hold up today. I mean, I can be set. That's great. Um, and the fur is good. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant creation. Um, uh, and it moves well. Um, and I think a huge ask on a telly budget uh, that the team, come on, Bernard. Bernard, my werewolf is here. Come on, Bernard. Come on, join Dad, Dad. Come on. Good boy. Um, Bernard is a lovely dog. He's a cockapoo. Uh, he's looking a bit sorry for himself. Uh, I think he wants to join it. He's got that cognitive dissonance that dogs have. Is he wants to be involved, but he doesn't want to be involved. It's like when he comes up, comes to you with a ball and goes, I want you to take this ball off me. I don't want you to take off me. Um, I love this bit where Ron Donaghy, who's an excellent Scottish actor, um, gets pulled up into the ceiling like Brian Glover in Alien 3. Um, but also that scene was shown. There was a red button preview, I think, uh, of, of the forthcoming season of Doctor Who. Uh, and uh, that, I think, was the opening scene of it. And it was a really long sequence that I videoed and gorged and gorged. And it was another brilliant way that doctor who was made exciting and it was embracing the new red button technology thing to have a bit where i don't know how i found out it was on it must have been somebody must have said or pointed me in that direction but anyway this and i think it was even on a loop but i videoed it and i i made sure it was on the the, the videotape with the episodes i was videoing the episodes at this point i don't think i had a dvd player at this point was i video no maybe it was Maybe I had it. Maybe it was that I bought a DVD recorder. I think for this series. I love you. Um, uh, but that. But but part of my enjoyment of this season is that excellently chosen sequence of clips uh, that that really got you just going. And, and and it started with that bit of yeah, Ron Donaghy getting pulled to the ceiling. Ron Donaghy, I haven't even mentioned who's a great actor always there to play big scottish types but actually the first thing i saw him in was a thing called specials in which top billing was given to general chelak from caves of androzani martin cochran and ron donaghy played the sort of comic it was about special constables and he was a sort of comic character but he was a brummy in that um uh, but he's but he's he, he generally uh, he, he he plays scotsman and he is one uh, and and uh 
has done fine work as a as a as a character actor from north of the border um was in game of thrones of course um yeah singing music listen singing music ah, 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 ah. um but I, and I, and I, you know this is this is good old fashioned doctor who chase stuff which it embraces and does very well it's got the werewolf stuff which it embraces and does very well there's a, you know there's a reason some of this stuff endures that's clever because that was just a shadow uh, which is cheaper than doing a because they obviously had to ration the shots that they did and i love the way it moves look at the way it pounds like that it's a werewolf bernard um oh, and i love that bit because we know Cap you know captain reynolds has been seeded into the drama but he was knocked out but you you know that he wasn't killed so he's around so so his intervention makes sense but it's also very very dramatic uh and again he gets great bits to do here you're a traitor to the crown i love that i love captain reynolds um oh and that bullets can't stop it i i'd previously in in the way that one of the uh preview clips had done it made it look like it was from the cyberman story because there was a shot of the cyberman and and then bullets can't stop it or the other way around so it's quite a surprise it was from this one uh, but captain uh, i mean i i i love a self-sacrifice in doctor who it's my meat and drink uh you know I, I love somebody going yeah no you you go i'll stay it's sort of how i want to go really i want to be mortally wounded and and and, and stop and bravely stop and painlessly stop an advancing horde of aliens so i wouldn't want it happen to me like it happens to captain reynolds because he clearly gets torn to bits um but it's a great a brilliant example of how to uh, have a character who needs to fulfill certain functions but just by the judicious use of a few lines here and there uh, elevates them from sort of functional supporting role to being a really good and memorable character it means you get a good actor to play it too jamie cybers is brilliant um uh he's in game of thrones too of course probably the first listen move away if you've not heard it watched game of thrones yet the first sort of shocking death of the series uh where you go oh god they they kill characters we like we've had scenes that are just about them um uh and of course this is the sort of base under siege that we get now having had lots of running through corridors um and it's it's genuinely scary and I love it when Doctor Who tries to be genuinely scary. And I wasn't sure it sort of could be again because I was a grown-up, you know. And uh, I wasn't sure that Doctor Who would be allowed to be scary because this was watched by kids. But actually, you don't see anything. All right, my darling boy. Hey, I'm so, uh, for the listeners, I'm so sorry. I have I have Bernard the dog sitting on me, uh, and I th his, his mum's upstairs having a having a chat with uh, friends, and I think he was feeling a bit. He was feeling a bit neglected, weren't you, Burn Burn? Uh, or perhaps he's uh, uh, not responding well to the uh, representation of uh, his kin uh, in this particular episode of Doctor Who. I'm, Doctor Who is generally um, favourable towards dogs. That's a, that's a great line. I thought they were very happy. <laughs> uh, and it's not a gay agenda. It's just a good joke. Um, and... I, I actually feel that um, Derek Riddell's character, uh, uh, Sir Robert, uh, has a. I, I, I think is treated rather badly by the story because he's sort of going, it's my fault. He didn't have much choice. A load of monks came in, subdued his staff, 
chained his wife down in a cellar, knocked him out and said, we'll kill your wife. Uh, and then uh, he did, during dinner, uh, see, a full moon just looks great. Uh, embrace, the, uh, embrace the iconography. Um, uh, but he did, through dinner, try to warn everybody. He's, he's, he's not really put a foot wrong. He, he's looked fairly wretched throughout. But the, the, the story sort of says, this is your fault. And he sort of says, oh, yeah, this is my fault. And the, the Queen doesn't really let him off the hook. And Captain Reynolds certainly doesn't. You go, I, I'm not sure he had a particular amount of cho choice. I don't think it was his fault. Uh, and he does lots of plenty of brave, brave stuff. Um, so uh, I, I feel a bit for Sir Robert. Um, you stay here, Bimba. Um, and I like, I like the whole, yeah, work the mistletoe into it, uh, and it's in the wood, and that, that's quite rigorous, and that, uh, that, uh, ties in very nicely. There is a, we've just seen the monks outside, haven't we? There is a, uh, they just, they just vanish, uh, at some point, um, uh, and it could have, it's a shame because uh, it was something that people brought up and it, and, and it's a shame that uh, oh but let's not worry about that for now because that thing about we've got all these books that's a great arsenal that's a brilliant message to send to kids and it's not preachy because um, it, it comes organically from, from the episode it actually uh, has some impact on the plot it's not just the doctor going oh knives are bad uh, you know in some sort of vacuum or or because if they see or not you, you know it's actually it's it's part of the drama it's part of the story it's part of um that the, what they're trying to do in order to uh get you know get out of the jeopardy that they face and, and understand the nature of it um and within that you get the thing saying to kids we're in a library uh you know that can arm you against so many things and and how applaudable is that uh i think that's great um uh, but also, you know, it's uh, the camera work here is brilliant. It's Eros Lin is a terrific, terrific director. Um, and of course, yeah, and and the, 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 and and again, you know, he's the, yes, he's got the setting because he wants the the, the celebrity and because the the Koinor is is part of the plot as well. But actually. He 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 makes, uh, you know, he sort of then retcons into it the fact that well well it's set here so this is therefore an important turning point what what the the creature wants um, uh, again is tied in with the historical setting that has been chosen to this story, which is which is smart. I I I quite like the contempt that uh, that the that, that the Queen has for the Doctor with the thank you for your opinion. Um, I love the doctor's glasses. I love my doctor in glasses. Uh, and yes, I didn't know anything about the Koinor. And uh, uh, so I was informed, educated and entertained. Um, I think I'd heard of it. Do you know what I mean? Well, I didn't really know, know much about it at all. Uh, and, uh, and the way that it has been tied in with the, you know, the, the historical things that we know about it is, uh, is, is, is very clever. Um, and it is, and it is a bit, a bit like the horror of Fang Rock, isn't it? Which I also like. And there's, there's, there's no accusation of plagiarism there. I just like the fact that it reminds me of uh, a Doctor Who story that I love very much, with the, with the light being focused through the, through the diamond. Uh, 
Oh, and, and, and also the the, the, the the costumes in this are great. Period costumes, again. Um, well, I think they helped to up the horror because they're ancient and fusty, but also I think um, history juxtaposed with sci science fiction is, 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 is always a beguiling mix to me. Oh, I like that she's got quite a quick darting intelligence as well, hasn't she? Um, it's a it's a great performance from Pauline Collins. Um, oh, and there's these uh, these quick cuts going around with the doctor with the doctor's brain working in overtime. I love this aspect of uh, of of, of uh, uh, Tennant's doctor, but I I really love the way that that was done in a series of uh, cuts. You know, which is you know that requires a different setup, and you go well we we need to do it because it 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 it, it it's it's a choice not only of character but it also uh, um, uh, sort of mirrors the, 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 the mental state um, and there was a nice little sort of zoom up there as well uh, and then this brilliant shot of the werewolf on the roof and again there's nothing like a cracking glass as anyone that's seen uh, that Jurassic Park, Park movie will tell you um, again brilliant herring down corridor acting, and, and then uh, yeah the uh uh, I mean, that's essentially a repeat of the moment where, where Captain Reynolds dived in, but it, you have a different saviour. But again, they brilliantly, they've been seeded into it. We knew they were up to something with the mistletoe, and it gives her a chance to sort of say hello and kiss her husband again. Uh, and he, he again sort of goes, look, go away. I've, he, he's, I mean, you know, we know from what happens later that he's, he's, he's clearly already decided he's going to sacrifice himself because he feels guilty, which he shouldn't. Um, uh, yeah, what I was saying before the... Uh, that's quite a long shot there. That must have taken months. Um, I'll buy you time. Oh, I, so, so again, there's two, two self-sacrifices. And, and, and this sort of, I don't know why. I think it's because I was brought up on war films. Um, somebody being very brave and everybody doing a sort of bit of unspoken go on then and it's it was wise to concentrate on rose with the camera work as well to uh you know she she actually you know helps sell the import of it there as well but i i'm a sucker for uh, uh i'm going to die die bravely um so look if you if you if, if ever you find yourself needing some time to be bought uh by besieging aliens uh i'll, I'll that's how i'll if if that's the way i go i'll take it <laughs> As long as it doesn't hurt but again this because again you don't see anything but you hear the tearing and you hear the screaming ah uh, uh, yeah well yeah. i mean you and you you gotta hope that you bought an awful lot of time i have to say because uh, i don't know uh, to, in order for it to be worth it um so i mentioned the the because i yeah, I, I mean, I think this is a brilliant story. This is a 10 out of 10. In fact, this, for me, is is the first of a run of three 10 out of 10s. I, I, I wasn't wild about New Earth. Um, I, I mean, I loved all of this season, this period of Doctor Who. But I remember, but, but New Earth, I mean, I haven't seen that for ages, so it'll be interesting to rediscover it for this. But it, it, it wasn't one I, I, I thought it was fine. But this I absolutely loved. Um, and then school reunion and uh, girl in the fireplace. Um, are, it's actually a very tall wolf, isn't it? 
are, are three 10 out of 10s in a row. And I think that's... I, I don't know if there are any more ten out of, three 10 out of 10s in a row for me in Doctor Who history. Um, uh, I But having said I could have done with a line, I could have just done with a line saying why the monks have run off. Um, I remember Gary Bushell saying... Um, I don't read Gary Bushell as a matter of course. Awful TV critic and columnist um, uh, of views I do not hold about many things. Uh, who was very popular at the time. He's his his uh, his star has faded, shall we say? But he he said you know in his TV review he was gone. He would have gone for Doctor Who anyway because it would be far too politically correct for him. Um, but but uh, he I remember him saying. Because you you get up all the reviews after after the show is on, saying what why why does moonlight kill it? And I know the doc says you're whatever percent water you can still drown, but isn't there a line that you could because because the moonlight speed you know precedes the metamorphosis from a man to beast, so therefore the moonlight has has does something, and and moon is about change and it's about cycles, isn't it? So so if if moon is if the moon is somehow tied in with the shape changing of of man to beast, therefore isn't there something to be said about concentrated moon moonlight speeds up that metamorphosis to 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 to. to, to to, to an extreme to the point where it you know metamorphoses metamorphoses metamorphizes into nothing you know it, it evolves beyond into dust I, I think there's something that you could have done a line i think saying that that you know yes concentrating the moonlight sped up the transformation and and and, and you know transformed the beast into death as it were you know um I, 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 because the moon has already been tied in with with changing i think i i yeah it, that would have explained why moonlight kills uh the wolf having decided that was a really good idea i had spent ages saying it which would have really held up the story but uh i think russell t davis is a good enough writer that he could have done it in a line or two uh which i think would have just you know slightly helped the selling of the idea that that moonlight is 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 inimical to uh, uh the werewolf um so you see yeah i did bring up the the the, the doctor and rose being smug thing at the beginning which was which was talked of a lot at the time but um but that's the point of this and of course it means that she sets up torchwood which uh, not only provides us with a spin-off series uh which is what this appeared like this appeared it was doing torchwood had been announced at this point or we knew about it um we didn't realize that torchwood was going to be the overarching uh the the bad wolf as it were of this season um which was quite clever misdirection because you think you go oh yeah well torture that's going to be the thing with captain jack and you go oh hang on no it seems like such a, a much more malign thing so that's uh that was uh that was quite a, a neat misdirection it's a great um location as well this as well this sort of gorsy fields um how do we feel about the royal family being werewolves um <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean that is very very subversive although actually the press they're getting at the moment um it would probably be seen as a comp being a being a werewolf is, is the least of their problems um 
and and you know it's 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 vague enough do we do are they just mucking about it's a it's a cheeky little thing he likes it it's a bit like um it's a sin where they have the scene with the weighing into margaret thatcher's pot of tea it's it's, it's like, he's he's very very naughty and a bit childish russell t davis and there's nothing wrong with being either of those things uh, <laughs> and and doctor who is quite childish the, the character the doctor can be quite childish sometimes and sometimes i'm thinking of john pertwee here who and he did say i like being childish sometimes tom baker said there's no point being grown up if you can't be childish didn't he but 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 you know pert was childishness and obstinacy and vanity are part of his downfall so it's not it's not that this is unusual that that the creators deliberately do something with the doctor that is designed to come and uh, bite the doctor in the ass down the line um so i i th i think that's you know, I think that the, the the smugness thing that people talked about, uh, you know, it was, it's deliberately placed. She's got real tears there, Michelle Duncan. Well done. Uh, uh, I, I still think Derek Riddell should have been credited above her. <laughs> uh, great performance from Pauline Collins. And I'm now having to come, gonna have to come up with my four things. As I like, I love the next time trailer as well. Uh, I, I wasn't particularly looking forward to school reunion not because i don't love sarah jane smith i, I absolutely do but i think because sarah jane smith and canine had come back in canine and company i was just like well sort of done that uh and i didn't school re school reunion i'm setting a school i'm not and i love that episode as i say i love this run of this this run of three i love this period in the show's history um uh, I, I think it's interesting. Tooth and Claw is not a story that is talked about. Ian Hanmore, not Ian Hepburn. I knew it wasn't Hepburn. Um, and now the, we're going to jump because how can I can I stop it jumping? Because I don't like the credits. Yes. Oh, I, I've died. I've quick move. I get the whole credits without it jumping forward. Um, people don't talk about Tooth and Claw that much. I think it's a sign of a show in pretty rude health. If if you don't look back on this period and go the thing i've just seen is is one of the best episodes of the year i mean it is a personal favorite but i i think it's fair to say it's not it's when people talk about this year i don't think this is nobody dislikes it either but it's not it's not one that people necessarily hugely rave about and i think it's massively raveable aboutable i mean i think the russell t davis um uh season finales always get the uh get the tension anyway because it sort of built builds up to those and uh, i sometimes feel that's a little bit unfair on the stories that don't have the advantages that a season finale has and and for episode two um i think that's a wonderful wonderful piece of doc two scary funny well plotted brilliantly acted and it's a period piece so that appeals to me um so what are my things i didn't write anything down in my notebook uh the opening sequence is definitely uh one of the one of the the, the best things about uh, that episode for all the reasons i explained it's brilliantly put together the color palette is great uh, it's got a bit of kung fu it's probably it's not kung fu i'm sure there's a name for it i i don't need to know um but i'm i'm glad you do if you do um uh also the werewolf has got to be just, I mean, that shot of the werewolf and the moon, 
but just the the, the whole the, everything that the werewolf brings with it in terms of it's a horror classic um, that they've shaped superbly into a Doctor Who story um, uh, and you know they've had their werewolf cake and they've they've eaten it there they've got the moonlight they've got the transformation uh the, it's a, it's a brilliant piece of cgi and hair and cgi is hard to do but i disagree with my friend peter i think they absolutely pulled it off uh, i still think it holds up well today as a, as a special effect uh, uh and it was certainly amazing at the time uh two more things i mean there's, there's pauline collins isn't there she's so good i mean there's the cast as a whole uh really um but i i mean i'm I'm tempted to say captain reynolds just because he, he shouldn't be so memorable for what 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 he does in the story and yet there's so much so much that he brings to it that 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 that, that everything you know ev not a line of his is wasted uh, not a moment of his is 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 anything other than excellent am i choosing captain reynolds uh i, I think the direction is is fabulous i love the i love the color is it right to call it the color palette the slaty gray within those reds of the monks and all the shadows uh I think the look of it, I think the look, the atmosphere, the colour. Yeah, I think I'm going to say, because whenever, when I think of Tooth and Claw, the first thing I think of is that sort of, that those those gorsy moors and the, and, and yeah, the, 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 the slate grey, the sort of slightly charcoal, uh, charcoal infusing every pore of it. I, yeah. Uh, so we've got the, the opening sequence. That does have the colour palette, though. Oh, I, I should have written things down and and uh, uh, liked that. I like I like Tom Smith's uh, uh, you know ch changeling thing. The host, the host. I mean, isn't that great? He's called the host. Uh, that's grim. Uh, so um, uh, I've got to choose four, haven't I? So the werewolf. The opening sequence. Sod it, Captain Reynolds. I'm going to say Captain Reynolds. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a good cast all round, uh, but I like I think Captain Reynolds is is. I expect Queen Victoria, played by Pauline Collins, to be good, and she was very good. Uh, and and you know you you put those ingredients together, you, you'd you'd be let down if they weren't superb, um, but. Supporting role, Captain, who does a bit of self-sacrifice, but also Cosy does a bit of self-sacrifice, and I like a bit of self-sacrifice. I don't know why. Some people like um, winsome ladies snogging handsome men in their dramas. Um, I've had... Br Bridgerton has been on in this house a lot. Uh, I like people bravely going, I'll hold them off! And Captain Reynolds does that. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yes, damn it, I'm choosing Captain Reynolds. Uh, and I'm going to choose... Um, I think the look of it, the feel of it, the atmosphere, the colour palette, all of that could almost be, say, the direction of of, of Aerosmith. But it, yeah, the the just the the atmosphere and feel of it and the colour that that just that that whole vibe you get from the visual, from the visual, the visual look. Well, of course, it's a look if it's visual. But that she won't have chosen that. I can barely say it, so she won't have chosen that. But I'm I'm scared that I'm going to start boring even myself 
so heaven knows what's happened to you guys opening scene werewolf captain reynolds the look the feel the atmosphere the direction that 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 thing what has the wonderful uh now she's and i suppose the fact that it's historical comes into the to the look of it as well now she is an historian so um she's probably chosen all that sort of thing number one from lisa glithill what she chosen oh she's got a dalek t-shirt on my first favorite thing about tooth and claw is david tennant's scottish accent now he's a versatile actor he can do lots of different kinds of accent lots of different tones of voice and he does them all very well but there's just something really appealing to me about his native natural tones and I think it's a shame he wasn't able to use that more frequently in Doctor Who. There was never a problem with uh, Peter Capaldi or with Sylvester McCoy sounding Scottish, so why not David Tennant? After all, I've heard lots of planets have a Scotland. <laughs> That's a good point, actually, isn't it? That, uh, that Capaldi did use his Scottish accent and uh, David Tennant did not. Um... We should ask them about whether they were I've, I've never asked the question um never seen the question asked was it ever considered that he would use a scottish accent i suppose one series in interesting interesting um and i wonder if now we've made the progress where that's because i have to say i do expect my doctor to I, well i don't now but you know at the time i think i uh, expected my doctor to be you know, pretty RP, but that's because loads of characters on on telly were RP, and it's uh, it's as much about as what's you know what's culturally instilled into you, and then of course makes no difference. And and you know, pe yes, people go, well, why has he got a Scottish accent if he's an alien? Well, why has he got an RP accent if he's an an alien? It's only because we're used to our theatre and tele and and getting less so now, of course, our theatre and our television where. I mean, actors in the old days had to speak RP. You went to drama school to lose your accent. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's amazing how you know our our mores change and our uh, our references change, and how things that seemed unthinkable now seem acceptable, and things that you look back on and going, why was that ever unthinkable? Um, Oh, it's progress and evolution and all sorts of interesting things like that. My second favourite thing about this story is Kung Fu Monks. I mean, come on, Kung Fu Monks! I do like a martial arts film. And at around about the time this story came out, it was sort of the era of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and all that wire work that was going down really well in Hollywood. So it felt like Doctor Who was up there punching at the same weight as the big boys. It felt really special. And I'm a classic Who fan, and back in the day, we never really got anything like this. John Pertwee shouting hi, or Alan Chuntz waving some nunchucks around, just didn't come close to this. No, and I think uh, I get a point for that, because that is pretty much the opening sequence. Um, and also, I think Lisa gets a bonus point for using the sentence, Alan Chuntz with nunchucks. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. Uh, and that shows great knowledge uh, and an expert syllable wrangling um and she's quite right and i'm not a fan of kung fu films uh i've, I've seen a couple of jackie chan films and admired their uh uh, uh 
the, the, the dexterity and skill involved and and was surprised at actually how funny he, uh, they 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 were but it's it's uh, but it's only because i was at my friend john's house and he's a film buff um but i loved seeing it so well uh i i like seeing things that aren't necessarily my thing in doctor who done well because um i, I, I always feel slightly honored to have somebody else's thing in in my thing because it, it suddenly means it it, com it confers a, a, a cooler cooler people upon it um yeah if if you're if you're self-loathing when when things that you don't like are in a thing uh you you, you like them <laughs> because because yeah anyway um what has lisa done so so i think we're i think we're even stevens at the moment um let's have number three the third thing i like about tooth and claw is that scene in the cellar between rose and the werewolf where he talks about sensing the wolf in her it's a really interesting moment it's not a very long scene it's only a few short lines but it packs so much meaning in it gives us um, some depth and some nuance to the monster in this story and it also lets us know that this isn't the kind of show that's just going to hit the reset button every episode past events have consequences and to be able to do that in such a brief space it really demonstrates something I think we're a little bit prone to forgetting which is what a brilliant writer Russell T Davis is and how lucky we are to have him in our gang. Yeah, I mean, it, it can't be said often enough. Uh, he's an amazing writer. Um, and, and I think what we do forget is because we know that Doctor Who... Uh, I've just seen a screensaver on my... Whatever it is this is. Is it... What is it? It's a thing on the telly that has screensavers. One of them just looked like exactly like the opening shot of Pyramids of Mars. I see patterns everywhere. Um, is it, what is it that I'm watching? Is it Netflix? No, it's it's a thing that has. Is it a Fire Stick? Anyway, it doesn't matter. But I've just it just looked like anyway. Um, Russell T Davis. We know he does the social commentary. All the stuff that we we that that is sort of the extra value stuff of Doctor Who, the social commentary, the satire, the jokes the uh the play the, 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 the playing with form the un, un you know the the undermining the po facedness all that all that sort of slightly anarchisty stuff that doctor who does so well that we sort of say well it's not just science fiction show it's not just a horror story it's it's got all these extra dimensions that make it special but it has to be a good science fiction show and a good horror story first. And I think because we celebrate how clever Russell is and how good he is at character as well and the emotional stuff, uh, which is, is 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 less familiar to us in Doctor Who from, from classic Who, um, I think we sometimes do not acknowledge the fact that Tooth and Claw is a bloody good, scary episode of science fiction slash horror adventure. Aside from the fact that it's got all those wonderful flourishes of Russell T. Davis character and jokes and emotion, it's a damn good episode of pure, exciting, running down corridors away from monsters with self-sacrifice and horror and terror. And a man getting pulled up through the ceiling. Doctor Who. Uh, uh, extra thing. 
My bonus favourite thing from Tooth and Claw, you can probably guess if you're watching this and can see where I'm sitting, and if you're just listening, I'm in a library. It's that line about books being weapons. Oh my god, that had a bookish fangirl absolutely punching the air when the doctor said that. I'm not sure my library here is saturated with mistletoe juice though. If it's saturated with anything, it's probably more likely to be the liquid most commonly found in this room, so I'll just give it a quick lick to check. Yep, it's tea. Oh, bless Lisa, isn't she fabulous? Um, uh, uh, great choice of story. Um, she's actually so chosen some other ones, so we will be hearing from Lisa again. And uh, I love those videos that she did. Um, uh, let's let's find out a little bit more about it because she's she's done her her, her her outro thing as well. Did the the books line? Why did I choose the books line? What did I choose? The colour palette and the atmosphere. I'm terrible at this. I'm, I'm, I, you know that it's not the winning, it's the taking part. Um, it's, it's not the whole point of the podcast that's important to the podcast. It's, it's the journey to where I screw it up, uh, I, I think. Why am I so bad at choosing good things or even actual things? I don't think the colour palette slash the direction slash the atmosphere slash the whole feel of the thing... Is, I don't think that's a thing, whereas I think the line about the books is a thing that I could easily have chosen if I shut my mouth. But the thing is, if I shut up, to, I, it's then it's then a podcast of um, a slightly quiet episode of Doctor Who in the background. Ah, uh, if you so if you don't know Lisa Glettil, um, here's some stuff about her. I do most of my filmmaking work for the National Trust, which is a very worthwhile conservation charity. You can see a lot of the films I make on our YouTube channel at uh, www.youtube.com slash National Trust Charity, or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And if you do happen to own a large mansion house and you don't want it anymore, you could consider donating it to the National Trust rather than, say, some dodgy quasi-governmental institute designed to fight alien incursions. <laughs> she even tied her plug in with the episode. <laughs> Doctor Who has brought me into the orbit of so many interesting people some of whom I've only met a couple of times, but of course the internet age means you're, you're more in contact with people, but people who go out of their way to, to produce quality stuff like that for this silly piece of frippery are people I, I you know, I, I consider friends who've, who've you know, come in, as I say, into my orbit via, via the, you know, the fact that we, we like Doctor Who and so end up in the same places and or, or know some of the same people. Uh, I loved Lisa's contribution to that. Uh, doesn't she? She's a what an interesting person she is, who does fabulous work, um, and you know what a backstory. I mean, from that introduction, which I didn't refer to at the top, the introduction to this episode is is her uh, telling us a, a, an interesting fact about her involvement in the series itself, which I don't think I I knew that particular. When you know when she said she was doing Tooth and Claw, I didn't. I don't think I knew that particular fact about her involvement. So, um, great. I'm really invigorated by uh, Lisa's presence on this podcast stroke uh, video 
thing. She's one of many, many interesting people I've met thanks to Doctor Who, and now I'm, I hope you've met too and are uh, enriched by the experience and maybe go and uh, find out some more about the great stuff the National Trust does. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, um, despite the fact uh, it, it, it was a house with a, with a werewolf and lots of death in it, uh, it has taken me to a happy time and a happy place. And uh, hopefully uh, they'll put a blue plaque on it to ensure that it isn't bulldozed in the future. Uh, thanks very much for listening. I uh, hope you're very well in this time of plague. See you next time. Ta-ta. Well, thanks a lot for listening to this podcast, Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My special guest nominating Tooth and Claw was Lisa Gledhill. Stopping me from howling at the moon are patrons who include Ruben Herfindahl, Rob Leonard, Stephen Moffat, Richard Straw, Jenny at Blue Box 99, Paul Cook, Rob Dawson, John Deere, Chris Dunford-Kelk, Siobhan Galichon, Ian Key, Joe Llewellyn, Darren Mackay, Barry Platt, Mark Aldridge, Kit Allen, Sebastian Apriel, Tilt Ariza, ARCH Presents CIC, Martin Bellum, James Blackett, Robin Bland, Kyle Bores, David Brody, Hugh Buchtman, Anthony Carroll, the dandy, and Anthony Carroll, the clown. There are two of them. I think there's another in a garage somewhere uh, reading his lines off an autocue. Richard Chalk, Susan Christian, Steve Churchill, and Charles Coffin. The music for this podcast is by Dave Gates. And check out the artwork that adorns the podcast. The logos are done by a young man called Dylan Patterson. And the thumbnails for the YouTube videos are done by Gav Rymill, who's a very generous and decent fellow who very kindly gives his time to this frippery. Um, you can also be a patron, if you'd so like to be, by going to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. From as little as £3 a month, you get advanced releases, exclusive material, and maybe even a badge or two. You can do a one-off payment if you like at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock if you don't want to get tied into subscriber mode, but you don't have to pay anything. That's the beauty. And if you don't, that's absolutely fine and you're more than welcome. But something you could do for free is to rate and review these at every single podcast outlet that you positively can, but only if you're going to be nice. I mean, really nice. I mean, extra nice, because that helps with my algorithms and my algorithms are getting frayed around the edges. I also have a YouTube channel, Toby Haydock. Please subscribe to that. A website, www.tobyhaydock.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Toby Haydock or these podcasts at Haydock Podcasts. Uh, and please maybe pop along to my comedy night every Tuesday night, Excess Malarkey at twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey. It's an online version of my long-running live comedy show, which since lockdown has retreated to the internet but extended its reach worldwide. I present four special guests from the comedy circuit from all over the world for your delight and delectation for absolutely nothing, although we do, again, take donations. That's Excess Monarchy Comedy Club online every Tuesday, 8pm GMT. A bit more swearing and a bit less Doctor Who than what you'll find here, but variety is the spice of life. I nearly said the... Never mind what I nearly said. Tune in on Tuesday to find out.